This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. Today, I'm joined by the culinary ambassador of the Chesapeake Bay, none other than John Shields. John runs Gertrude's Restaurant in Baltimore at the Baltimore Museum of Art. If you're anywhere within a large radius of Baltimore, you need to go to Gertrude's. It's fabulous. John has been a friend of the Chesapeake Bay for years and years, 25 years or more. John, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have you join us. Well, I'm delighted to be here. I am, really. I think the first time, one of the very first things you did, you've, you've had something like three cookbooks to your name. You've got another one on the way. I think it's called The New Chesapeake Kitchen. We'll have to repeat that a couple of times. It'll be due out next year. You've had two TV shows, but the first time you got involved with us, you did a cooking show at our education center, the the Noonan Center in Dorchester County. Was that one of the first things? That was one of the first things, and and that was um, delightful. In fact, uh, Maryland Public Television still airs it all the time. <laughs> and you, you came down and cooked some of your favorite Chesapeake Bay recipes. We did, and we did, and we had the, the kids were down there, and uh, we showed, you know, a lot of the educational components uh, of the center. Uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Was, was that when you got to know Jesse Marsh? Yes, that, that's when that's when we met then. Yes. Yeah, Jesse Marsh from Smith Island has been a longtime CBF educator, and I think uh, quite a, a talented chef of his own right for Chesapeake Bay seafood. Yeah, absolutely. He may have even taught you a thing or two. Could that have been possible? Well, that's quite possible. And you, but you know, when you're down when you're down uh, <laughs> down around there, you learn a lot from just about everybody because everybody wants to teach you something. Well, you know, you probably don't know this, John, but <clears throat> the very, very best crab cake in the world is not yours. It's mine. Ah, absolutely. And that's the way it's <laughs> supposed to be. I always tell everybody that when you go around trying to find crab cake recipes, everybody will tell you that the one that they have or their mother has is the absolute best. And I always agree. Uh, you're a good, good politician. <laughs> There's so much I want to ask you. Let's let's start with Gertrude's. Tell us a little bit about Gertrude's and the derivation of the name. Well, um, we've been at the Baltimore Museum of Art operating as Gertrude's for 18 and a half years now, which I can't quite believe. I um, know. But but we have, and. Um, Gertrude is is uh, nominally after my grandmother Gertie Cleary, uh, who uh, helped raise me and uh, lived actually not far from the Baltimore Museum of Art. But when I um when I ventured many years ago back in the seventies uh, out to California, um, I opened a fairly large restaurant out there, and I decided to feature the food from where I grew up, the food that I loved and cared about so much. And so I opened out there Gertie's Chesapeake Bay Cafe. 
and that ran for many years in Berkeley, and people loved it. And we flew all the product in from from the Chesapeake during that time. We won't we won't tell that. We no. we won't remind people that. No. That's no. not locally sourced. That was right? not locally sourced. All the vegetables were, and everything Good. else. But that seafood, we couldn't quite get it from there. So anyway, um. Fast forward to uh, 1998, I had moved back to, to um, Baltimore and to the Chesapeake, and I decided that I needed to open another restaurant. And we found this beautiful spot here at the museum, um, put it together, and we decided to call it Gertrude's. Um, actually, Dan Rodericks from the Baltimore Sun is the yes. one that came up with it because uh, I had a group of investors who wanted my name on it, and I wasn't happy about that. So Dan said, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. I'll have an editorial out. And he did. And he said that he thought it was appropriate uh, that since I've moved upscale and uptown and had a lovely restaurant, that maybe we should take it from Gertie to Gertrude's and that it also would be a wonderful um, nod to Gertrude Stein, who was instrumental in making the Cone Collection, which is here at the BMA and is the largest collection of Matisse in the world, come to come to fruition. So anyway, we now call it, it's, it's a tribute to the Gertrudes of Baltimore. So many directions we could go, but yeah, Gertrude, uh, Gertrude Stein, the Cone Collection, C-O-N-E at the Baltimore Museum of Art is just fabulous. And the Cone sisters lived right there on Utah Street in downtown Baltimore, as I recall. They did. They did. Yeah. What an apartment they had. Yeah, up on the top floor. I've not, not seen anything, but I've seen photographs. All right, let's come back to the Chesapeake Bay. Tell okay. us, what is the bay mean to you? And, and, and how has that shaped your life? First growing up in Baltimore, then becoming a chef and being so um, tied to locally sourced foods. Talk a little bit about the Chesapeake, what you've seen, what it means to you, how it's changed in your lifetime, and how it's affected your professional development. Well, that's a that's a big 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 topic there. Let me let me. We tell have you. three and a half hours. Did I tell you that? I like I like a, lo a long podcast. Uh, Not quite. <laughs> um, actually, well, as you know, I I grew up in Baltimore, but my great uncle uh, ran the Tillman Island Seafood Packing Plant. I did not know that. And so as a kid, um, Uncle Eddie had, he actually had a, a biplane, and, and he would go from over near East Baltimore and fly back and forth. I mean, they had a house um, on Tillman Island. So as a kid, we spent a lot of time over there. And as you can imagine, I have, you know, a bazillion childhood memories of, of you know, small town um, watermen, their wives, the churches. Uh, and 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 I loved it. I always loved it. And back here in Baltimore, we had a beautiful municipal market system. You know, which Cross Street Market, Fells Point Market, um, yes. Lexington Market, all were a part of. You know, it was the first municipal market system. Um, in the country. So anyway, the way that we grew up was we went to the market and those markets were, were staffed by farmers who brought their stuff in, you know, from right around from right around the area or it came over in barges from the eastern shore. So that, that's kind of how we lived. You know, it's just 
I had a lot of uh, relatives who were farmers up in Harford County and mm. in Baltimore County, and some of them had a stall at the North Avenue Market. So I would be there as a kid. So I was always surrounded by food. Um, my grandmother, Gertie, uh, she ran the kitchen over at St. Anne's Church on Greenmount Avenue, and they did businessmen's lunches over there. And so they would get the food, you know, right from the local markets or the farmers or the local uh, seafood people. And we would put on these big dinners for businessmen. Um, actually, they were, they were usually lunches. And I just loved being in the kitchen. And I loved working with all this beautiful, fresh produce and seafood. And, and I could really relate to it because I knew how it was caught. Um, you know, I, I saw that firsthand. So that's how I grew up. I, I grew up knowing food in season, having a sense of anticipation for a coming season. So we couldn't get everything year round. It was only available at a certain time. And I think sometimes that kind of made it special. Um, you know, and, now, and now you know how important it is from an ecological standpoint to buy local, to buy in season, to not require something to have to be flown halfway around the world. And that's, you know, not only is it delicious, much better for you, I, be I bet. Yeah. But it's so good for the environment. It really is. I mean, when you, when, when you think about it that way, and even if you would think of, let's, let's kind of imagine it from a tourism standpoint. <clears throat> you know, I sometimes think, you know, that you don't have to have some of this product all over the world it doesn't have to go all over the world that sometimes it's nice for us to go to a region and have the food that is indicative of that region instead of having it always flown to you you know you know what i mean and certainly people you know love to do that with fine wine yeah drink the wine of the region so 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 i really you know i i think that that's a really important thing um we're at, here at gertrude you know we've been so vested in this because when I came back from California when I lived in California that's how we were cooking it was sort of the advent of the new American um, cooking revolution Alice Waters was out there mm -hmm. the, the queen of of a high food of California and when I came back I had seen that that local food system that I knew as a child kind of had fallen apart it had been dismantled actually and I thought, well, how am I going to do this? So I knew that there was a farmer's market in Baltimore. It was the Waverly 32nd Street Market. And I went over there and I started talking to farmers. And I talked to a guy who was doing free-range eggs. And I talked to people who were growing around here and coming to the markets. And I said, could you grow for us? And that's how that kind of started for me. Because that's how I grew up. That's how I knew to eat. And I didn't want to do it any other way. I didn't want to have to call, you know, a, a big conglomerate uh, food service thing to come in and just bring stuff from God knows where. I wanted to know who I was buying from. So and that's I, what we do. I, you know, I think we, we all have been conditioned to think that you have to have that big conglomerate supply the restaurant with food because the restaurant won't be able to have the security of getting the food they want when they want it unless it's a conglomerate that has stored it in the warehouse for months and months. Now we have this concept of farm to table 
And I imagine at times you can't get everything you want, but you work around that and your customers clearly love it. Yeah, you, well, you absolutely can do that. I also find that it makes the business a lot more fun. I mean, who wants to go onto a, onto a computer and just check off a list from a big company that will come to you? I have to call, you know, 10, 15 different farmers. Uh, we tell stories. I hear how the kids are doing. And that kind of dictates the menu. You really have that kind of relationship with your farmer suppliers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they come in to eat here at the restaurant on a regular basis, and they invite us to come out to their homes, and we eat with them. And, you know, I, I, I've known them for a long time now. And, 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 and it brings the whole thing full circle, and it's, I think, really important. Well, we often talk about how farming is one of the most ecological active, active land uses in the watershed of the Chesapeake Bay. Certainly uh, a, a, an untouched forest it would be more ecologically beneficial, but well-managed farms and farms that are growing a rotation of fruits and vegetables uh, that uh, are suited to, to the local region really are uh, uh, you know, they hearken back to, to decades, if not centuries ago, but they really are what we all should encourage. And if farmers can make a living doing that, it, it's a win-win for everyone. It certainly is. And I've seen over the last um, 20 years, 25 years here, how that's changed and how we're seeing as people are connecting to this, more people going to farmers markets more people um, buying local or having direct connections or doing the CSA kind of deal, the community-supported agriculture. I've seen people who were going to have to sell their farms decide to stay in it. Or the children of farmers who thought they would never get into farming go back to farming. And they're doing great. They're, they're growing responsibly. Mm -hmm. They're se selling high-value crops directly right. to people. Value-add, yep. They're sending their children to very good schools. Many of the children are coming back again with new skills to work in the farm. So I, I look at that, you know, one plate at a time. We're rebuilding our local food economy. It, you know, it was, it, was, it was decimated. It was taken apart. But by doing this, and, and people always say, you know, when we talk about, we can talk about environmentalism, we can talk about, um, you know, the problems that, that we have. And so many times people come up and they say, they throw their hands, what can I do? And I said, you know, you have more power than anyone else. I call it the power of the pocketbook or the power <laughs> of the wallet. By what we choose to buy, to put on our tables and into our, our, our pantries, we can change everything. Well, that is so true. The power of the consumer is often way, way undervalued. And you're absolutely right. Let me, let me ask you, I hope this is a fair question. What's your favorite seafood? Well, uh, my favorite <laughs> thin fish is um, um, rockfish or you know Maryland rockfish striped bass, rock bass. That, 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 that 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 is a number one check um, um, 
And then I guess next would have to be oysters. I love oysters. I like them raw. I like them fried. I like them frittered. I like them any which way. Um, I, I was always really, really partial to that. Number three comes in crab. I love crab, but that, that is number three for me. Are you able to get rockfish, oysters, and crabs locally? Most of the pretty t- regularly. Yeah, pretty regularly. Um, I think you know one of the great things that I've seen uh, recently, and I, I know you know well about this, is um, you know a lot of the oyster farming. You know, we have we're, we're working with a lot of young people who have started doing oyster farming and are producing some beautiful, beautiful product that we can get on a very regular basis. Um, it's real consistent. Um, during season, we buy, you know, wild harvested oysters. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. And, and we're, we're fortunate. We've been working with J.M. Clayton down in uh, Cambridge for, sure. for quite some time. You know, because be, it, it's really difficult um, when you think about it um, with crab, for instance. There, there is only so much crab right now. You know, there is. There are limits on, on the crab. So if every restaurant in the entire Chesapeake said, you know, we want Maryland crab, right now we don't have enough crab. So I, we, we actually had to get in line to be one of the preferred customers so that we could get Maryland crab meat on a regular basis. Yeah, and people, you know, people don't realize, first of all, the water quality and the quality of the Chesapeake Bay does have an impact on crab population. But crab population is variable for a number of reasons. They have a very short lifespan. Most of them are spawned at the mouth of the bay, spend their very early stages when they're free-floating larvae out in the ocean. So there are a lot of things that can make a crab population in a given year up or down. And that has got to raise some havoc when you're trying to get your crabs at a certain volume and quantity every year. Yeah, it, it absolutely yeah. it absolutely does. We, we've been we've been pretty fortunate again because of the the connections that we've we've made, and um, we're we're also again because we're at the museum. People come; they want a crab cake. Uh, we have people come from all over the world, and so again, fortunately from. Clayton's, um, they do a beautiful product, in, you know, that they put up um, in the fall for the winter, you know, that's pasteurized. That's, that's great. It's good. Top notch. Local crab, local spice, Old Bay. You can't get any better than that. Uh, no, you, you can't. You mentioned farm-raised oysters. A lot of people ask me, what about farm-raised oysters? Well, they are exactly the same species. They have all the same filtering capacity and benefits. They're all the same habitat benefits. They're really a very, very great part of a developing part of the Chesapeake Bay. And and one of the things from someone like you who loves oysters as much as I do, in the summer, you can get a great product. They're not putting their energy into reproduction because all of the farmed raised oysters are neutered by uh, biologically so they're putting energy 12 months a year into growing oyster meat and with uh, refrigeration there's no danger in eating oysters in the summer now from farmed raised operations 
You know, it's 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 actually pretty amazing. Some of our highest oyster sales, you know, half shell oyster sales are in the summer now. There you go. And that that never happened before. But people are going a little crazy for them. They're they're <laughs> loving them. It, it's almost like you're going to a wine tasting now. You know, it is. They'll, they'll have four or five and they'll talk about all the different characteristics. Oh, it's a little crisp. It has a slight um, banana overtone and then it'll have a <laughs> such and such finish. It's like, oh my God, I would have never thought of that, but they are delicious. <laughs> well, that's just great news. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot with one last question. My favorite holiday of the year is coming up. Okay. Uh, you know, nothing compares in my mind to Thanksgiving. What, what, what do you like to cook for Thanksgiving? Well, you know, Thanksgiving is one of my favorites. I mean, it's absolutely one of my favorites. And I have to say, it isn't because of the turkey. Um, it's because of absolutely everything else is what I'm I, with you is what I like. It's like a, it's like a, a, a festival of vegetables. Um, everything that you can possibly imagine. And, um, you know, I, I come from Baltimore, and so we do we ha do have quite the heritage of, of sauerkraut um, around this time of the year. And um, so that's, that's one of the things that, that I have to have for every Thanksgiving. Um, and we do it braised with champagne and apples and fresh ginger. Um, and it, it's just a beautiful thing. My grandmother, Gertie, actually used to um, make her own sauerkraut in the basement in Crocs. And, um, oh, my gosh, it was just it was just one of the best things ever. And how then about my, my how about my favorite now? Oyster pie. Oyster pie is delicious. Oh, my God. It, oyster pie is <laughs> it, it could make you weep. You, know, you get a good you get a good one of those or like an oyster stuffing. I love oyster yes. stuffing. Somebody was just telling me the other day that, oh, they didn't know if they could. You could taste the oyster in oyster stuffing. Well, you know, oysters have that amazing thing of oyster liquor. And yeah. that is like the super concentrated fish stock in the world, you know? And I, I think it just flavors the stuffing beautifully, gives it a, just a wonderful flavor. And uh, so th there are some really good time-honored Chesapeake um, dishes that, that are, are perfect for, for Thanksgiving. Well, I'm going to make a lot of people angry, I bet, but I could say get rid of the turkey like you, everything else. Uh, the turkey's almost secondary. It, it's, it's, it's a mechanism to get all the other great foods onto the plate. It is, and, to get, and get everybody around the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Mr. Culinary Ambassador of the Chesapeake Bay, John Shields, I just can't thank you enough. I've had so much fun talking with you. And uh, I hope you'll come back and, and talk again and we'll revisit from time to time. Everybody should remember, first of all, the Chesapeake Bay, the, the first book 25 years ago has just been reissued, 25th anniversary version, Chesapeake Bay Cooking with John Shields. That's one. And then watch next year for the new Chesapeake Kitchen by John Shields. All right. I'm, I'm with right. you. <laughs> All right, John. See you at Gertrude's. All right. Thanks, Will. Thank you, John. This is Will Baker, president of Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Be sure to tune in every two, two weeks for our continuing podcast series. Thanks very much. Oh,